It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Uh, the first time we've gotten a chance to talk since the uh, the DeMar Hamlin cardiac arrest situation on Monday night. We did not do a podcast following uh, that game. We normally do a Bengals post-game podcast, but... Uh, uh, there was really the, the, the situation was so fluid that we opted not to do one. So this is the first time I've had a chance to, to talk, Rick. And it's been a uh, been a, a crazy week. And uh, the the good signs are at least it sounds like Demar Hamlin is is improving. I think that's the most important thing of all. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate we have to start the first show of the new year off talking about this awful awful movement from Monday night's game between the Bengals and Bills when Demar Hamlin tackled T Higgins. He got up briefly, then collapsed on the field, had to be resuscitated, and was taken to UC Medical Center, where he's been in critical condition ever since. Um, I don't think there's any other medical updates other than what you just said, which is that they've had some minor uh, positive news, it sounds like, but no real details that have come out. You've been there covering the story each day. You got the chance to talk to Zach Taylor and some of the Bengals players on Wednesday. Pick this up from here, Skinny. What stood out to you about this situation as it's unfolded over the last few days? I'll start with the players. Um, and they had two of the captains. The team has six captains, but two of them spoke yesterday. Um, arguably two of the most important ones, in my opinion, uh, is Joe Burrow and, and DJ Reader. Um, it, it struck me with with um, how open I thought they both were about their feelings. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow saying he feels like I need to play but he would support any teammate that may not want to play, saying I'd be right there behind them. DJ Reader admitted it's a tough question to answer. Both of them literally saying it's it's our job. Zach Taylor saying it's what we're tasked to do, and, and that's the, the thing here. There's some things to revisit from Monday that we'll do so here in a little bit with the reaction and all that, but in moving this all forward, you know, we had to kind of move it forward a little bit with the players and with Zach Taylor towards the Baltimore game because it is coming up. They are going to play it. It is an important game. Um, and I, I, I thought that was interesting to me that the players reacted um, in that way of, hey, we're tasked to do this, but uh, personally, we probably don't want to do this. Listening to the comments from Joe and from Zach and from DJ Reader, all of them really came out of this sounding good, which that's not what anyone's concerned about. It's not what they're trying to do. They're not. You know, this isn't a PR hit for them where they're trying to spin it a certain way or anything like that. No, I just, I I thought they were really honest with their feelings. I, 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 honest and came out sounding like real people, not like, you know, you get so much coach speak and just uh, generic answers to questions when you guys do these media scrums and different press conferences and all that type of stuff. This was different from all of that. And and all of those guys really, I thought handled the situation well, especially Zach and, um, the way he talked about the medical personnel that handled the situation and all of that stuff. He just really came off sounding good, I thought. And as far as the actual night itself, the one thing that I've just keep going back to that made it so scary was it was such a common play, right? There wasn't anything about it that seemed like vicious. And I, and I realize that it's not really about that. That's not what happened to him um, based on, on what we know, but I think it's, you know, something like that, you see it and it makes the a play like the kill shot we saw on Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Peach Bowl seem even more messed up because that yes. did seem so vicious, you know, and it's like, man, it 
it's all so fragile and it can all happen so quickly. Uh, seeing what happened to DeMar Hamlin, that it, it makes some of those other plays really seem more terrifying because they, they do seem so significant w- when they happen. Yeah. Um, and, and on that, if you remember uh, on the very first drive of the game, another bills player went down right. face down um, and I was struck on that play, how quickly the Bengals medical personnel raced out to that player. I mean, they were, you know, they, they, they didn't like jog out or kind of wave to the Bills and make wait for them to kind of come out. They sprinted to the to the player, which made me think he was knocked out. He ended up, I think, being evaluated. We never even got an update on him, which is understandable, but uh, he was being evaluated for a head injury, which usually is the term for being evaluated for a concussion. So when when Hamlin went down, um, I had binoculars, and I, I was kind of giving people around me who didn't have binoculars kind of a play-by-play of it. And I... I said, oh, they're, they, that looks like they're going to bring the backboard out and it looks like they're trying to stabilize his his head. And I'm kind of watching that and I've, we've seen that situation a lot. It's scary, but you you know, usually the outcome is players on stretcher puts a thumb up and you feel better about it and all those things. And after a couple of minutes went by, I said, I, I think they're doing chest compressions on this guy. And a couple other people then grabbed their binoculars because I heard a couple people go, what? And all of a sudden they said, oh my gosh. I said, yeah, I'm, those look like chest compressions, yes. And they're like, yeah, I think they are. And so we kind of all watched at that point in silence to, to, because to, then that, that's when it ramped up for literally everybody involved. I mean, backboard, um, neck stabilizing, again, it's scary, but we've all seen it. You, you don't think much of it. Sad, maybe shame on all of us for not thinking much of it, but you just, you've seen that so many times. But the chest compressions were real. Um, and that's when he knew something was really, really serious. Then came the chaos of was the five minute warning given to the teams or not? Um, Zach said he was not given a directive. Uh, I, I don't know who to believe in that scenario. At this point, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, um, I, I, I do think that the announcement was given to the five-minute warm-up. But I also think then the NFL, after the coaches got a chance to talk and Sean McDermott told Zach, I have to be with my player in the hospital. I can't coach this game. At which point, Zach basically said, hey, then let's just let's just go to our locker rooms and wait for the NFL to make a decision. I think then the NFL ended up making the right decision. Um, I wish they'd be a little more honest about it, um, but neither here nor there. The right decision was made at the end of the day to suspend that game. There are no protocols <laughs> for this. There right. is no, you know, the, I don't think anyone knows exactly how to do this. And and maybe that's on them. Maybe they should at this point, given the type of sport it is and the things that they've already seen within the sport. Um, but uh, the people that were so quick to be, crushing the NFL and saying, why haven't they canceled the game yet? Or why haven't they called it? It's like, it, look, like there is a process that has to take place here. You know, p- people do have to talk it out. They have to say, what are our options in this situation? So we don't get a bunch of backlash after the fact. If we, if we've rushed to just say, Oh, we're going to call the game right here or say it's a tie or something like that. I mean, no, you, you have to go through the proper channels and, and make sure everyone is notified first. And uh, I thought, I thought all of that was handled just fine. I didn't have any issues with the way it was handled by the refs, the coaches, the players, the, the league office. It seemed like everyone was pretty much on the same page and, and there was no real issues there. And obviously everyone's thoughts are with, Demar Hamlin no and question. just worried about him getting better, but uh, there is. And listen, let, let me say that, say something about that too. And, and it's no surprise. Um, it, this is a great community at the end of the day and the outpouring does not surprise me whatsoever. The NFL community is a tight one too. The outpouring there is, 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 is heartfelt. It's, it's odd how these two organizations are kind of intertwined over the last few years, starting with the Andy Dalton 
Foundation that the Bills fans donated to for Andy throwing the touchdown pass that uh, in Baltimore that year that got Buffalo to to the to the playoffs for the first time in a long time. It's just weird how these two communities have become so intertwined, starting with that and and now to this. That that it has been a, like a strange connection uh, be, between the two. That's that's kind of made them close for whatever reason, but. It's like you don't want to call it compartmentalizing, but to some extent, you know, there are other things to talk about that come with this. And part of that is what it means from a football perspective. What do you think is most appropriate as a solution from the NFL standpoint here? Is it just you you, you don't play the game? You, you basically go back to what you were going to do during covid if anybody wasn't able to play a game and you go by winning percentage and and those two teams just have one less game than everybody else? I think a lot, honestly, Rick, depends on what takes place this Sunday. Um, Let's go through all the scenarios first and foremost. Kansas City plays on Saturday. Kansas City wins. They improve to 14-3. and If Buffalo were to lose on Sunday to New England, that makes them at 12-4. and They would have no shot at the one seed at that point if the game was made up. And even if the Bengals beat Baltimore – um, and then beat Buffalo in a in another game. They could not get the one seed. I think at the point of this is, I, I think at the if at the end of Sunday this scenario takes place, KC wins, Buffalo loses, Bengals win. By virtue of the Bengals win, and by virtue of strength of victory, the fifth tiebreaker between the Bengals and Bills, the Bengals would get the number two seed. I think at that point they would not play the game. I think if both the Bengals and Bills win, um, and and KC loses then with the one seed still up in the air for everybody, then I think that game gets played probably on a maybe a Thursday of, of next week, or maybe even they, 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 they just push all the AFC playoff games back a week um, and uh, skip the Super Bowl in between week after the championship games. And the two, so my scenario would be the Bengals play next, next week, Bengals bills next Saturday for let's say, or Sunday, whatever um, the NFC plays its playoff games that weekend the following weekend, the NFC takes off. The AFC plays its first round of playoff games. Then the two sides meet back up on equal footing the following week in the divisional round. They're married up in the following week in the championship round. There's no week after the after the championship round. You go just straight from the championship round to the Super Bowl. So I, I do think a lot actually hinges on what takes place this weekend. Interesting. So do you think there's a chance that they would rule on it before this weekend, or do you think they're definitely I, going to wait to see what happens? I don't know about the definite part. Um, I, I I think based on the, the them moving that Bengals game to one o'clock to marry it up with the Bills game to then at, at 430 be able to make a determination of where things stand um, with, with all three teams. You, you already know what Kansas City's result is going to be because it's Saturday, but at 430 on Sunday, you're going to know the Bengals and, and Bills result at that point. So um, I, I do think that's when they're going to wait. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, we could put this podcast up and they make that ruling today. But I think if they were, if they had already had a plan to play this game in place or definitively not play it, I think that would have been announced already. Interesting. All right, Skinny, anything else here that you think needs to be hit on or that you want to touch on? Yeah. Or- yeah. But the only other part to it is, is the, the T Higgins scenario to it. And, um, you know, I tweeted out this and I got a lot of reaction to it and it wasn't meant for that. It was just, I was reporting in the moment, seeing T come out of that locker room with the look on his face. His mother was standing by us waiting for him. Um, their hug and embrace and just the, the look like this is the, the, the sadness that he felt of over what took place, not his fault at all. But again, you see the human side of that, of, 
you know, even though you know it's not your fault, you still blame yourself. You know, if you're in a car crash where somebody cuts you off and it's their fault and you kill them, you're still going to feel remorse over that if you're human. Um, so this is not his fault, but you could just see the, the distraught look on his face. And I asked Zach yesterday, how's T doing? And he said he's doing pretty well. Um, Joe said the same thing, and that, that's good. But I think it's going to be hard for him to go back out of that field Sunday, probably more so than anybody, to be quite frank. Yeah, understandably so. That was one of the things that was really annoying that came out of this was that Bart Scott moment on ESPN where he criticized T and and said like what he did was I I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but essentially said that T was at fault for for the play and and what happened. And, um, you know, it's weird because you had that situation with Skip Bayless, which everybody freaked out about and wanted to fire him over and everything else. I didn't think what he said was that crazy. Uh, it, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. But on the other hand, what Bart yeah, the Scott timing did, of it was the timing of it was bad. But yes, it, it, I didn't well, think what he said was crazy. He was the first one to mention anything other than Demar Hamlin, and I get that, and that it was probably a little too soon. But it was also like there were three tweets that he had, and everyone was only looking at the third one where it mentioned the playoff scenarios. The first right. ones were all about. You know, not sure exactly what happened to Demar Hamlin. This is un- unprecedented. Can't remember playing being stopped for this length of time. Just said a prayer for him and his family. I've seen so many horrific injuries suffered on football fields. Like it was all about Demar Hamlin. The first two tweets, and then the third one was the one that was about the playoff scenario. So it's like, yeah, I, I like I get what people are saying. It, it was a weird tweet and it looks bad, and the timing was probably too soon on it, but. I don't think it was coming from a bad place and, and he's a goof to begin with. So out of, out of all the dumb things that he's done, this was far from being the most egregious. Uh, but then on the other side, I thought what Bart Scott was saying was completely, completely out of line and something that quite honestly, probably should be looked at by his superiors. And I no rarely ever say that about another media member. Yeah, no, no question about it. All right, skinny. Um, as far as the, Ravens game goes I really only have one question that I did I mean I think we know what to expect with this game we know what to expect with this rivalry we know what's on the line between these two teams but what do you make of the Lamar Jackson situation at this point oh I think he's clearly making a business decision and John Harbaugh knows that teammates know that um you know, if you want to point the finger in any direction I'd point it point it maybe at the owner of the Ravens um you know the, the guy you knew it was going to eventually come to this if he got hurt, right? That that he was going to play this out as much as he could, but the first time he got hurt was going to be, no, nah, I'm good. And I, I'm this is going to sound awful. Um, I, I don't blame him. I don't. You know, this is a scenario you could have gotten something done and you didn't. And so now the consequence is dude doesn't want to get hurt catastrophically and and, and not get that, that payday. I get it because he's going to get it from somebody. You got to talk about a lack of belief in the team around you, though, because you would think if he thinks he has a chance to win a Super Bowl or make a serious run at one this year, he's probably coming back for that because it's only going to increase his earning power in the market this offseason. Yeah, and maybe he doesn't believe that. Maybe, you know, I think that's exactly what it, you know. It's, it's it's not like they helped him in the offseason by drafting wide receivers, was it? Exactly. I think I mean, it's they, they, just, signed, like, they look, just signed Sammy Watkins off the street and Bengals uh, special teams guy, Mike Thomas. Well, and I kind of, I kind of agree with the sentiment. It, it would tell me 
we're good enough to get to the playoffs, but we're not good enough to win anything there. And and I kind of believe that about the Ravens. I would I would tend to agree. Yeah, the, the comments from John Harbaugh on Monday were, were really interesting too. About he was asked, "Do you need to see Lamar practice before the playoffs?" And he said that would probably be optimal. Yeah, um, which which makes me wonder: Is he even going to play him in a playoff game? I mean, at this point, he doesn't sound interested in talking about any of it. He sounds completely over it, yes. which tells me yes. things aren't great in terms of that relationship. No, no, I, I think it's it may not be because, you know, coach wants player to play. But I, I can fully tell you John Harbaugh understands Lamar Jackson's scenario fully. You think? Yeah, I, I get the sense that the Harbaugh's aren't the type of guys that necessarily understand the player's perspective. All the time. No, I think he's like a lot of coaches is it's it, it's the old I'm going to coach the players that are here. You know, it, it, that's kind of their that's mentality for most coaches. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I get that. Anything else on this Ravens game, Skinny? We'll, we'll obviously come back for no, our picks I, I, during you know, the betting segment. Yeah, I don't think the Ravens are, are very good. Um, I, I was trying to figure out a way they score 20 against the Bengals, and, and they don't. And and I think the, 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 the obviously the key to it is going to be the Bengals as a collective psyche. How do they handle all of this? All right, Skinny, we had the uh, college football playoff semifinal games this past weekend on New Year's Eve. And it was fantastic. Both games were awesome. I think it's the best year we've had of the college football playoffs so far. Uh, the first game, TCU beats Michigan 51-45. To me, this was a shocker. Neither one of us had this in our picks. We didn't expect it to be this high scoring. We certainly didn't expect TCU to win. It ended up being a fun game. I guess my question is, what happened to Michigan's defense and running game? Great question, especially on that very first goal line situation, right on the fourth and goal. They go, they turn to the. Did, did Zach Taylor call him during that and say, "Hey, you know, we, we tried the Philly special. I think it could work for you too." This vaunted ground game that ripped off that big run to start the game, right? And you're, this, I, I didn't mind the decision. The decision to go fourth and goal at the two, that's fine. It's early. I get it. There's gonna be a ton of possession. You think you got a great defense? Worst comes to worst, you back them up. Um, not settling for three. We're gonna we're gonna send a statement. Here we come. That's exactly what I thought. They were gonna line up. You know, eight offensive linemen, um, put another offensive lineman in the backfield and one running back and say, here we come, TCU. We're going to knock you off the ball and get two yards. And they got really cute. And that sometimes is the first sign of, uh-oh, you don't think you're good enough. Yep. You can run trickeration at that point in time? Okay. Um, yeah, and then as that thing went on, this is no lie, Rick. So so I am I met uh, friends at, at Whiskey's in, in, in Lawrenceburg for New Year's Eve dinner. This is This is literally no lie. Got in my car. I live in Boone County. It takes about 25, 30 minutes to get there. There were, this is no, five touchdowns scored as I'm listening to the game in the car driving down. That, that's how crazy it got in that, in that third quarter. The second half was wild, and it was fun to watch. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But to be quite honest, Michigan, they were in it, but they were never in a spot where they had a chance to take over the game. Like, I, I thought there was when they scored to, to pull it into a one score game. It was like, all right, now you got a chance to get your stop. They but never they got could the stop. never get that stop. They were right. never in the position where it's like, okay, we got the stop. We got the ball back. Now we're going to go up and, and take the lead. It was like every time they got within a possession, TCU ran it right back down their throats with a big play. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I, I would have never believed it. I, I predicted a blowout in our gambling segment. Um, I think you did too. Yeah. Oh, I totally um, thought. I mean, I was talking with my neighbor across the street and next door the night before the game saying, I could see Ohio State playing with Georgia, maybe even pulling that upset, but I cannot see TCU doing it. 
Yeah, no, I, that one shocked me. And then the Ohio State, I think we both thought it was going to be a shootout. That was going to be a close game, and that's exactly what we got. Yeah, sticking with this first game, though, for a second, yep. do you like what TCU represents that, you know, first-year coach Sonny Dykes turns around a team that went five and seven last year and lost 15 players to the transfer portal, and he did it all by bringing in 13 transfers himself. Do you like what this is? Or do you think this is a cool story, or is it kind of like a – uh, it, it's almost hard to root for. No, I, I, I think it's, I think it's easy to root for because you know of, of their lack of, you know, they had some tradition back in the '30s and '40s and maybe '50s, but you know TCU's been kind of an also ran at, at times too for long periods of time. So I do like that part of it. Do I like? I don't like the transfer portal anymore. I've, I've, I've grown very weary of it, but I know it is, it, it's a thing. So if it's a thing, you're stupid as a coach if you're not utilizing it. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line to this. You're gonna lose. 15 guys, and you're going to then have to go get 15 guys. So that just is what it is in, in, in this day and age. You just, I, I don't like it. I don't think it's, and I don't think it's going to end up being good for the sport in the long run, any sport in the long run, the way this is going to go. Cause I think part of the charm of, of, of you as a college fan is knowing your players for a small period of time and getting to know who they are and, and, and rooting for them for multiple years. You're, you, that's not going to happen anymore. I think it's going to lead to not good things in the long run. But listen, if it is a thing, you have to utilize it as a coach, period, end of story. Yeah, and there's no doubt what he's done is impressive this year to turn around a team like that and not just be in position to compete in, in your conference, but to get to the college football playoff and then actually win that game and break through to the championship. Uh, you, you can't take any of that away from him. It has been an impressive run in his first season. Skinny on the flip side. And, and, and I, yeah, and I would tell you this too, if you're Sonny Dykes, I mean, I've I used the speech myself. It's it's one that's tried, it, it's it's cliche-ish. But listen, line up 100 times against Georgia, TCU probably doesn't win more than two or three times. But you're only playing them once, and you only got to beat them once. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that, especially after what they just showed in that semifinal game, I'm not so sure that this is David and Goliath here. You know, I, I don't I don't know that the separation is that crazy. I mean, they are a, almost a two touchdown underdog, but yeah, uh, D- David, David at least is coming with a gun and not a, not a stone. I'll give right. you, I'll give you that. Yeah, I mean, they're in a power conference. They had a legit season and they just scored 51 on Michigan. So uh, it's not you know, it's not a mid-major team here or anything. Where are we at with Jim Harbaugh on the other side of this skinny? We, um, he reportedly talked to the Panthers and the Broncos within the last week. Would you be excited if he was taking over your NFL franchise? And yes. how do you think Michigan fans feel about him right now? Um, that's a, that, that part's a good question. I, I would still say, dude resurrected our football program, got us to back-to-back college football playoffs. Sure would have been nice if he had done a better job coaching this last game and, and not getting too cute on that first series, et cetera. But I, I would say, listen, you brought us back from the depths, and, and here, here we are back as a major relevant program moving forward um Jim Harbaugh is just a winner I mean he, he wanted he won at Stanford he won at San Francisco uh hell he won at San Diego University before he went to Stanford um he's won big at Michigan I mean that's the other thing he's not just a winner he's won pretty big has he won the ultimate prize no but he's been on the doorstep of it so yes if I'm an NFL franchise yes the guy's a winner he's goofy goofy's all get out but he's a winner I, w- I would agree I think he's a really good football coach and I think what he's done at Michigan is really impressive but you go back before last season and he was legitimately on the hot seat sure 
I mean, Michigan fans were done with him, and the whole thing was he can't win the big one. He can't win big games. And now you know, he gets to the playoff last year, gets blown out. This year he gets to the playoff. He doesn't get blown out, but they give up 51 to TCU and lose a game that they were pretty heavily favored. I, I think Michigan fans are less excited about the idea of having Jim Harbaugh than Panthers or Broncos fans would be. Yeah, but I, I, I think that would be foolish because... Oh, I totally agree. I, I don't think they know what they have in them. Michigan's program had slipped significantly. And yeah, for him, winning the big one was not able to beat Ohio State. And then finally, that's now become a thing. And he's got to the playoffs. So I, again, I know the ultimate thing is your ultimate goal is to win the championship. I fully understand that. But he's given you a bite at the apple in back-to-back years with no signs if he stays there of this not being a thing consistently moving forward. Especially you know how- in the expanded playoffs. You know how few of teams, and yeah, it will change with the expanded playoffs, and, and certain programs will probably be there more consistently now. But over this run that we've had, the four-team playoff, you know how few teams have been in it, period? Right. If you're, yes. if, if you're one of those teams, you should not be looking at changing anything that you've been doing. Agreed. Agreed. And like I said, if you're an NFL franchise, it's not like he was a failed NFL coach who went to college to kind of resurrect his career. He was a highly successful NFL coach. The second game, Georgia wins 42-41 over Ohio State in an instant classic. We, while we're on the talking about the, the head coaches thing, where do you think Ohio State fans are at with Ryan Day now after this one? I'll be honest. It almost feels like next year better be winner bust. I mean, I, that's as goofy as that sounds. Well, and it's weird because I'm not were, saying that. I'm, I'm saying that if I'm going to. I, I believe that's how that's Ohio State I, fans yeah, feel. Yes, correct. Yes. Right. I, I think you're exactly right. And I think this this game was helping him for yes. most of it because they they performed above expectations. I think fans were really down on him after he had lost to Michigan again for the second straight year. And he was getting that reputation of not being able to win the big game, just being good enough to get you there, but not good enough to win. And they looked great. I They, they played great in this game. They were right there. They had every opportunity to win it. And then a lot of people believe that he got conservative on that final drive and he settled for that 50-yard field goal. Did you think he choked at the end? I did. I, he did what a lot of coaches do, and I don't understand this because they're, they are, they're such control freaks that in the big moments, a lot of coaches play not to lose instead of to win. They think of worst case, of a, and I guarantee you it went through his mind of, oh gosh, if CJ takes a sack here, we might not even get a chance to kick the field goal as opposed to going, we got a lot of time left. We got we got sidelines to play with. We got college first downs to play with. CJ just got me some big yards, and he's been throwing the ball all over the place. I, I'm going to push the envelope and maybe try to score a touchdown. In worst case, no, I'm at least going to try to get 15 to 20 more yards and make this an easier kick. A 50-yard field goal is not a given for any kicker at any level. The, the, the great ones make more than they miss. I mean, you're, and he's a great kicker. No, Ruggles is a great kicker. He's a college kicker in a major moment. Ask him to kick a 50-yard bomb. Dumb. Just, he played not to lose. And in the end, what do you do? You lose. Well, you're asking three college special teamers right. to handle that situation, yes. too. Yes. Not just your kicker. And that's a giant moment for all of those guys. And if they're on your special teams, they're probably not the elite of the elite guys in that moment. I mean, he is, he's, he's in NFL talent when it comes to being a kicker, but I thought Ryan day coached a really good game. I thought he called a good game. I I thought Ohio state's offense was great for the most part, but the, the idea that they would run the ball once they got 
into into field goal range finally and just the the very edge of field goal range again a 50 yarder the fact that they would call a run play on that they still had so much time left right i thought that was shocking again that's playing that's playing not to lose oh gosh we got it in field goal range don't want to get knocked back out of field at that point i'm going to trust cj stroud to make a good decision if he feels the heat roll away from it and throw it out of bounds i'm i'm trusting that guy I agree. I, I, I mean, he had been so good with his feet in this game, too, which is rare. He right, never runs. Right, uh, but in right. this game, he showed that off a little bit. He was making good decisions to take off and and use his legs more. He's one of the elite talents in the game. I think you got to put the ball in his hands and give him a chance. No there. question. I, there's the thing. Am I going to trust the Heisman Trophy finalist or am I going to trust uh, a kicker? Yeah, a college kicker. A college no kicker. matter how talented he is, no matter how good. He yes. Is. Yes. And, and, and no offense, he choked on the kick, but I get it. I mean, that moment of 50 yards, there's a lot of things you're thinking of from that distance, of making sure you hit it squarely. Uh, everything's going through your mind in that moment, and you're making it that much more difficult from 50 for the kid. I, we were sitting there playing playing Euchre and watching the game, and you know, we were kind of waiting to, to get the switch over to watch the ball drop, and it was weird. <laughs> Wild moment with that happening simultaneously. No, so, so, no, here's the thing. So, we're on a big text mail chain with all our kids and stuff. And as we're watching this game, we all stop playing cards to watch the moment. And the reason I bring this up is, is uh, my, 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 uh, my friend's wife, who's my friend too, but she, their son played, played high school football. And she always talks about how nervous a wreck she was watching play. And she, she literally said before this, happened, she goes, Oh God, I'd hate to be his mother at this moment. Knowing she, no, she, now this woman's feeling the pressure in Fort Wright, Kentucky for right. this mother and this kid. How do you think that kid was feeling in that moment? Right? Right. I mean, that's what it came down to for me, but I was going to tell you, so as, as, as this, as the ball was being snapped or whatever, our phones start blowing up from all our kids saying happy new years. We're watching, watching the kick go off. It was a weird moment for sure. Yeah, well, I loved the the videos from like uh, a hotel in Atlanta where people are watching the, yep. the ball drop and the kick simultaneously. And some people are celebrating the new year and other people are losing their minds because Georgia held on to win. And it was yep. just uh, some it made for some really funny social media videos. Um, I thought there were two plays that really won this game from Georgia. One was the thing I referenced earlier, which was Marvin Harrison Jr. Yep. getting knocked out of the game on that kill shot in the back of the end zone. That was just I mean, that changed everything. He is yep. the best receiver in college football and not having him. And maybe even in that end of game scenario, sure. if you have Marvin Harrison Jr. available, maybe you are a little bit more aggressive there. And, and without him, maybe that that kind of helped make Ryan Day's mind up to be more conservative in that spot. But either way, that was huge. And also the Kirby smart timeout on the fake punt. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State ran a fake punt, got a first down. I think it was fourth and one or fourth and two. Uh, they were able to get the play, had already gotten it, but a, a ref had come in from the sideline saying Kirby Smart had called the timeout right before the snap. And at that point, they know what you're doing. You can't run it anymore. So uh, that that completely changed the game right there, I thought, because if Ohio State gets that first down, that's a huge momentum shift sure. at the point of the game that it happened. Yep. yep. Um well, I, it's it's kind of crazy to think of, but Georgia now has the chance to be the first team in the playoff era to win back-to-back championships. That just tells you how hard it is, right? I mean, it's really, really hard. Yeah, it also tells you, you know, people that are. were questioning whether Kirby Smart right. had built this into a real power. Uh, I think they've arrived. I think they're here, especially if they pull this off. I mean, 
They're, well, they're heavy that's favorites, the obviously. Yeah, that's the thing. Last year, they they won it with elite defense and a good enough offense. I mean, they weren't pedestrian. They weren't three yards in a cloud of dust. Let's punt 20 times and our defense is going to win it. But that defense, as we know, was just elite. For stages this year, it was really, really good, not elite. But now they're starting to win games with offense, too. And that's that's something. Well, Stetson Bennett, you can't say enough about what that dude's done. I mean, I, I continue to want to doubt him and, and say he's he doesn't look as talented as the other top quarterbacks in the game, but I'll be damned if he doesn't make some big-time plays with games on the line. He is he is unbelievably clutch. Yeah, he is. He really is. And the other thing is, you know, you're mentioning what they did last year and then coming back this year. It's insane to think of all they lost yeah. of last year's teams. Usually, when you look at teams that have had those giant – successful years and you lose all the NFL talents like LSU, the the Joe Burrow year where they win it all and then they lose all those guys to the NFL, those teams really struggle that next year. It's exactly like happened with LSU. Oh, um, UC. I mean, UC didn't struggle, struggle, but, um, you know, UC lost all that talent. And, you know, yeah, and, and it's probably not fair. Year, to they, they fought through it. Yeah. It's probably not compare, uh, fair no. to compare UC to an SEC major that is loaded with depth like some of these schools. But even those SEC schools that have done in the past, Alabama, uh, you go back a handful of years where they had, I think it was like 13 players drafted that one year and they came back the next year and and finished second or third in in their division. So yeah, that's just, it's, it's not something that's easy to do. And and they're right back here with a chance to win it again. So if they pull this off, that's going to be pretty damn impressive. Anything else to get to from the bowl game, Skinny, before we move on to college basketball here? Let's go to college basketball. All right. Well, we will start with Xavier because they had the biggest win of the week and and maybe the biggest win of the year to date here locally as they knocked off the number two team in the country, UConn, 83-73 to over the weekend. Um, I'm not sure that there is a clear-cut top two or three teams in the country right now, but whoever is in that top tier – UConn isn't far off. I think this was a pretty legit win for Xavier. Agreed. Um, and I say that in UConn's what lost two in a row now, correct? Yeah, they, they also lost to Providence 73-61 on Wednesday night as well. Uh, two really difficult games to play on the road back-to-back like that, Xavier yeah, and, and, and Providence. But did, I think Providence, did Providence move a half game ahead of Xavier in the league now? Does that sound right? Hang on, I got it. I, yeah, they're a half game up. They're 5-0. and Yeah, I'm talking about UConn stumbling for two losses here, and I'm, with, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, they are the eyeball test times 50 um, and you're right, and both these games being on the road make it difficult. Yeah, so UConn's losses are to teams that are 9-0 in your league. <laughs> so, But then what does that tell you about Xavier maybe, right? If well, we're putting UConn in that upper echelon group, Xavier obviously isn't very far off. Yeah, and I think, look. And maybe this to... is one of those years, right? There, there doesn't seem to be a super team. Do I like Purdue? Sure. Do I love Purdue? Nah. Do I like Houston? Probably more than every other team. Do I think they're unstoppable? No, I, it, it doesn't feel like there's a big difference between one and 20. I mean, like, I don't like Kentucky's team, but there's enough talent where they can roll out and they've done it. They've played with, with they can play with anybody. I don't know if they can beat anybody. I think it's one of those goofy years like that. It, it definitely, and we say it every year, feels like, oh, there's more parity this year than there's ever been. I don't but, know. I don't know if we say, I think there's been years where you go, okay, Gonzaga, and then they stumble, but you're like, yeah, that they're so clear-cut. Or Kentucky in those years, they're so clear-cut. Th- this year, I don't even know where the upper echelon starts and ends. That That's the thing for me. Usually it feels like we're saying something like, oh, nobody wants to be number one, but we know there's a group of two or three teams that we're talking about realistically being the best team in the country. Right now, I think I would say Houston is my favorite team in the country. Yeah, they're like, mine. 
Yeah, they're mine I, as well. I'm but, with you. But then, like, I mean, who else would I put in that group in terms of teams I, I really believe in to potentially be a, a national championship contender? I mean, it's Houston, it's UConn, Kansas, yeah, Arizona, and, and Purdue. Okay, so, so, so you say that, and we talk about this, though, Rick. So Kansas last night was just a one-point favorite on the road at Texas Tech and were, light, and, and were life and death to win by three. No knock. Again, you go on the road in your league. We agree with this. And you play a, even a respectable team. It's tough. But what does it tell you? They're, only, they're one of the teams you're talking about. They're only a one-point favorite on the road. And that's basically how it played out. I don't think Texas Tech is elite. Right. No. I mean, none of these teams are heads and shoulders above anybody. And part of that, I think, is because the line is just constantly being blurred more and more. And, and this year is even a little more goofy than the others because you have the results of these these extra COVID years playing out and more moving in the transfer portal than ever. So I think there's a little bit of that that's creating even maybe more parity than usual and, and maybe limiting some of the upper echelon teams more than it typically does. But, yeah, I, th- I mean, like there's, there are some teams that I like at the top and Connecticut is in that group. Yeah, so I thought this was a really nice win for Xavier. Um, I, you know, with with X, the thing that's so amazing about them is that their offense has been so consistent. Yeah, that's the part. They're, they're, that, that, when we talked about that last week, you're gonna you're gonna have to live with lulls on the defensive end and watching 16 point leads get wilted to six because they've had maybe a short dry spell on offense and they just don't get stops. But overall, for the most part you can hang your hat on that offense most every night. They're going to have a clunker at some point. We all know that, but you can hang your hat on that offense. Yeah. And defensively based on who they were playing in this game, UConn's probably the best offensive team that they've played all year. It maybe, maybe you'd put Gonzaga in that group earlier, but of course they lost that game. This was the best defensive performance Xavier has had. And again, it comes at the Centos Center behind a ridiculous environment and home crowd. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, though. I thought UConn missed some pretty open looks from three. uh, I I think part of that would – I think I would agree with that to some extent. But again, I mean, you hold UConn to right under a point per possession. Uh, That's not something Xavier's done much this season. No, that's right. You're right. So um, they're at Villanova on Saturday, a place that they have not won. (laughs) <laughs> since they've been in the new big East. Uh, if they win this one, they're really starting to set themselves up for a, a really good start to, to big East play. I, I because- mean, if, if they win this one, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think this is the route you're going. If they win this one, they could technically be not even technically. They could very well be undefeated in the league going back to UConn on the 25th. You could, because the next two games are very difficult in Creighton and Marquette, but they're both at home. Yep. And then you've got DePaul and Georgetown at DePaul and then home against Georgetown. So you're right. I mean, these next three games are going to be difficult. I don't think you win all three of them, but I think there's a very legit possibility that this team goes two and one over that three game stretch. And if you do that, you're almost certainly going to win DePaul and Georgetown, you would think. And now all of a sudden you're sitting at what, seven and one or eight and one in Biggie's play to start. You're in a damn good spot right there. Yeah, you're putting yourself now in the in the two three seed line conversation. Yeah. All right, move on to Kentucky. The Wildcats beat Louisville 86-63, avoiding the statewide embarrassment there. And uh, then they got a nice win at Rupp Arena over LSU 74-71 this week. Mm. I don't I don't know if I'd qualify it as nice. I don't think Why LSU's not? Really good. I don't think LSU is very good. 
Uh, I would say any win is a good win for Kentucky. I'll give you, I'll give you that. The one thing that the the one thing that I, I, I will say that has been a positive trend over the last two games and Kentucky needed this, I think is the play of Jacob Toppin. Yes. He has decided he's not a jump shooter. He did make a three, but in, in defense of him, it was a shot clock three against LSU. It actually ended up being a big shot clock three. Um, but I, it feels like he's playing well within himself the last couple of games, been extremely active, uh, attacking the rim, and I think they needed that sign moving forward. Totally. He's having a weird season. Yes. I mean, he started off as a featured guy for them and then – Started to disappear, saw his minutes reduced, hadn't scored in double figures in four games. And then all of a sudden, the last two against Louisville and LSU, he's scored, what, like a combined 50 points? Yeah. I mean, he had like 27 in one of them and 23 or 24 in the other, I think, something like that. So, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, he is back to being a focal point. And you heard Cal talking about before the LSU game, he wanted to shorten the rotation. He shortened it. He shortened it all right. He did. And I think... I thought it looked good. I mean, focus. He said he's focusing on seven guys: Shibway, Wheeler, Wallace, and Toppin. The majority of the minutes, and he's still looking for who that fifth guy is going to be. And then after that, it's really going to be limited. And part of that, you know, CJ Frederick was hurt. Right. Um, I was where hurt as well for that game. I think. I, I, I'm assuming he was. I don't know the answer to that, Rick. I only got a chance to watch the the second half of it. So yeah, I, I mean, I, he didn't I, play, I and, and he didn't play at all. And I, I believe he maybe had a shoulder issue going on. So. Yeah, I mean, the only two guys that came off the bench were Damian Collins and, and, and Antonio Reeves. That was it. But and Antonio Reeves is going to play. I mean, he's your he's your your hopeful, um, you know, maybe microwave scoring guy. Now, he only took two shots, I think, in the game. Um, actually took one shot in the game and and scored just two points. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think when CJ comes back, it's an, it's an eight-man rotation, but not by much. Well, and I don't think it's by accident that they – played a bit better without wear in the line. Here's the only thing I, I would say about this. And I know Xavier's in this situation as well, though it's not by design, Sean tightening the rotation. It's just, they don't have a lot of depth to begin with. I do wonder in conference play, if that starts to take a toll on players by the end. It might, but there's also the fact that by the end of the year, most everyone has tightened their rotation and you get into the, in the NCAA tournament and almost everyone, all of the good teams are playing six, seven guys, mostly now to your that, point that, yeah, that, earlier that's in the right. season. That, that's right. But if you have you, to do that, yeah, but if you've yeah. grinded them down through, through more than three or four weeks of that, I think that's a big ask. That may be, but we're getting to that point of the season now. And, and UK hasn't done it all year. They're just starting to do that now. I, I think they've got to do it to have a chance to be quite honest. I would, if I was Cal, I would completely stick with the shortened rotation for now and try to get some type of continuity and chemistry going on both ends here. Yeah, I mean, it got them a win. Again, I'm not overly impressed with LSU, but it did get them a win. And like I said, I think the positive thing is the last two performances for Jacob Top. And if you continue to get that from him and him playing within himself, um, I like this team's chances of at least now being competitive come March. Uh, they'd like to have Bryce Hopkins back from Providence, wouldn't they? <laughs> he just had like 27 against UConn, I think. Yeah, that wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky is at number seven Alabama on Saturday. So a huge opportunity there. And really two of the next three games could turn around how everyone's feeling about this season. It's kind of always that way, I guess, when you're in the SEC. But you've got South Carolina sandwiched in between a game at Alabama and a game at Tennessee. You yeah, win. you want me to be a yeah, you want me to be a believer. Win one of the two road games. Win one of those two, and people start feeling. Yeah. You win both of them, and all of a sudden everything's completely changed. Right. You're but, but right I, up but at I the top go of back, the country. 
Yeah, my flip side to that argument would be you lose both and maybe you lose them both in the ugly fashion you lost at Missouri and you still then start to wonder, does this team even make the tournament? And it feels more likely to me that they would lose both than go one and one to be quite well, honest. Well, but but I, I, I'm talking about, I'd even have faith if you lose both and, you know, you've played your ass off and you they're just good, better yeah. on their home court. But if these are like Missouri ugly losses, then I think but the doubts get raised but, again. But but skinny, you almost have to to win one. At some point, you've got to win a big game. Agreed. Oh, I you agree. You can't just right. keep losing every no, big right. game, right. even if you no, play you're well. Right. You know, I mean, you're, you're Kentucky. You, you got to win one of these. So you're right. But uh, I would say this. Yeah, I would say this, Rick. Other, you know, those two games are argu- arguably the two toughest games, and, and I guess i got to put Kansas in there, two of your three toughest games off. They still have to go to Arkansas. They still have a rematch with Tennessee at home, but these two being on the road, these are arguably your two toughest games remaining, or at least two of your toughest three games remaining. Yeah, and, and I would say you get Kansas at home at least. These two both being in true road environments, it's as hard as it gets. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, but you'd like to see them get one of them. All right, Cincinnati beat Tulane 88-77 and lost to Temple 70-61 to over the course of the last week. Skinny, what do you got on the Bearcats at this point? I mean, I haven't been that high on them to begin with, and um, I, I don't want to say you start doubting West Miller. That's not fair because it's two years in, and he's still trying to get his guys and all of that, but... It ain't exactly like things are trending up inside the league in this crap league, and you're going to take that big step to big boy basketball next year. Do you feel any good about it? Well, and, and that's the you, problem. Because you have to start taking that eyeball to that. You know, again, you got to play in the moment of the AAC, but in the moment of the AAC, with an eye towards the future, the current doesn't even look very good. And when you look at from last year to this year, there isn't one thing you can point to and say they've gotten better at this, or here's an identity starting to form, or here's what they're trying to be. This is what they excel at. The only thing they've really been good at is taking care of the basketball this year. They don't turn it over hardly at all, which that's great. I mean, that is, that is a good thing to be good at, but aside from that, there's, you know, they're not good offensively. They're not good defensively in terms of their metrics, their, their efficiency numbers. And, you look at what they've done away from fifth third arena this year. They lose at NKU. They lose Arizona and Ohio state in the uh, Maui to the only, the only game they've won away from fifth third this year was the game in Maui against Louisville. Yeah. And that doesn't no offense. And even UC fans would agree. That don't mean much. Right. And now that you, you know, you played what seven or eight straight home games and then you go on the road, play temple for your first road conference game and you lose to a Temple team that's ranked 127 in Ken Palm. It's clearly what they're doing isn't traveling. And I think the reason for that is because when they play well offensively, they're relying on a couple of guys to hit too many tough shots. Landers, right. Nolly, and David and Julius. And that's, that's really exactly all they've it. got. That's they, really all they've got. They're, they're not creating good looks for other guys. And, and I keep hearing the, the, the roster isn't there. They're not talented enough. And I agree with that to some extent. But I would say they, they're not talented enough to maybe win in the NCAA tournament and, and make a run there. But I do think they're talented enough when you have a guy like David Julius, a guy like Landers Nolly, and a guy like Victor Locken, you should be able to score pretty consistently against teams like Temple and teams like NKU. And I'm just not seeing And you, and that. you scored 51 and 61. 
or 61 yeah. and 50 and vice versa. And had some really dreadful stretches. And I, I think a, a bigger issue that they have is there's not a lot of role allocation. There's guys that think it's okay for like Micah Adams Woods thinks it's okay for him to go one for five from three when they're on the road at Temple and losing. He thinks it's okay for him to take 12 shots. Th- that's that's it's the never, issues it's they never have. okay for him to take 12 shots unless he's taking 12 layups in transition. A hundred percent. I mean, if yeah, if you're if you're playing Shamanad, Mike Adams Woods can take 12 shots. If you're playing a conference game that you're in the thick of and you need to win and you're not up by 25, there's no chance he should be taking that amount of shots. And the problem is they're all fine with it. They think it's a good shot. That's that would be my concern about Wes Miller right now. Yeah, as we record this, as you mentioned, they they play at Wichita State. So there's another road uh, game against a, a middling opponent that you should win. Yeah, but that's boy, tonight, you, Thursday night at nine. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But boy, you lose that, and then Houston comes to town and 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 slaps you around. I mean, you're ten and seven at that point. Then you got a lot of you got a lot of people pointing fingers and questioning things, and that's just going to be a horrible place to be. Well, and it goes back to why would you announce that extension right after the Xavier I, game? Because he doubled down. He basically is telling people, this is my guy. And, and I get that. It was always going to be that way for John Cunningham, but it, it just made no sense to announce it at this time because you set yourself up for Agreed. things really get ugly here. You I said that egg on your face. Yeah, I said that at the time. That's exactly. And, and it feels like it's coming to fruition, sadly. Yeah, well, it's not, it's not there yet, but it could get out of hand quickly here, especially uh, it, if they don't start playing well it, at all on the road. It, it, if there's a loss tonight and it's ugly Sunday, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, well, it's hard to imagine it not being ugly on Sunday. Yes. All right, and NKU beat Wright State 78-64 last weekend and IUPUI 55-42. They'll host Oakland on Friday and Detroit on Sunday this week. The Norse are now 4-0 and in conference play, Skinny. Yeah, I mean, but I think we both, even though there's been some goofy, ugly moments, that trip to, to Florida did not work out very well going 0-3. Um, the Washington State game, because they're not very good, didn't go all that well. Um, the top 70 in Ken Palm. Yeah, yeah. It, again, it, it, it still, it did. Yeah, it was not a good not, performance. Not, not only didn't game. go as well as you would have liked, but I, I think all along we thought they were the class of this league, and they're certainly proving that right out of the gate. Yeah, well, and I think especially when you look at what the league is doing elsewhere. Youngstown state is 141 in Ken Palm. And most people believe they're the best team in the conference. NKU has a win over them already. Right. Robert, no, right. Robert Morris is, is overachieving compared to what the expectations were for them. They did just lose to, to Cleveland state. So they're two and two now in conference, but they're looking like one of the tougher outs in the conference. NKU has a win over them. And of course they've got the rivalry win over Wright State. Now, IUPUI is terrible, obviously, but yes. to get a 4-0 start with three quality wins already in the conference is, is good. And you look at NKU in terms of their losses, the only bad loss they have is that UT Arlington lost the, the middle game middle when game they were in that Florida, Florida tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is in the top 20, 125 of Ken Palm, which is better than anything they'll face in conference play. Yeah, I mean, you look at the conference, I think what everybody has at least two losses other than NKU and then what two other teams, Cleveland state has a loss and maybe Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee is the other one that only has one loss. They're three and one and Cleveland state's three and one. Both of them are a bit surprising. Weren't supposed to be at the top of the conference. You've got Youngstown states two and two Purdue Fort Wayne is two and two. And those are really the two teams that I think most people believed would compete, be competing with NKU for the top of the horizon league this year. But, but right now NKU in a great spot four and O and all those other teams have already got a, a couple of losses. So there, there's nothing that 
keeps them from still competing at the top of the conference, especially when you look at what NKU and Wright State have down the stretch with all those road games to, to end the season for them. Uh, some of these other teams will have opportunities to make up ground, but you definitely like the spot that NKU is in early. Yep. All right, finally, Skinny, I've got one more college basketball question for you, and it relates to the NCAA tournament because this week the NCAA Transformation Committee recommended that NCAA postseason championships, including the men's and women's basketball tournaments, expand to include 25% of participating teams in the sport. So for basketball, that would mean adding 22 teams to increase the size of the tournament to 90 teams. What are your thoughts on expanding the NCAA tournament for college basketball? Yeah, I, I'm kind of indifferent. I, I, I mean, I, th- I, it feels like this number is a good one right now. I mean, I know we have all these bubble conversations, but how many of those teams that come off the bubble go very far? So all, I, I, we're doing this for revenue purposes only, and I guess I'm okay with that. Um, you know, the, the extra 22 teams that get in um, are all going to be at large teams, obviously. Um, so great, we get a few more 17 and 14. Will, will they be though? Is that I mean, is that the definition? Well, I, I, I would assume because, I mean, everybody in every league has an automatic berth. Well, is there the possibility all, that you go regular season conference champions or something like that? Um, I think the problem there is in some of the, some of the lesser leagues, no offense, like the Horizon, um, I, I don't think they're going to want two teams from that league in. Or any or the Mac or the or the Northeastern. I don't know. I don't. I don't well, I, don't I mean, maybe that. there's some type of qualification like college football is doing, where if you're one of the top X conferences, your regular season champ gets in or something like yeah, that. Yeah. The only the only problem with that then is then what happens if that team wins the conference tournament and then it opens up to shenanigans of well we've already made our bid and we'll lose to let you in. I don't know. I think it's all at large. Yeah, fair. I I think there are some other creative things you could do with it. I'm interested to hearing some of those other ideas. If the answer is we're just going to let let, uh, a 500 Big Ten team and a 500 SEC team and a 500 Big 12 team in. I think that's what you're going to get to expand that that middle of the tournament. I don't have a huge issue with it because like everyone freaks out that it's going to ruin the tournament somehow. It's, it's not, not going to ruin, it's it's not not gonna gonna ruin the tournament. tournament. It's, those games end up being fun. I mean, we have plenty of those 11 versus 11 playing games that are enjoyable games. Yeah. Not to be an ass, but frankly, with, with the expanded betting around, it's more games for people to bet on a hundred percent and paying attention to it. And like what makes the tournament great is that you get out of work early for it. Everyone cares about it. Everyone's got their team and they filled out a bracket and you maybe you get out of class early if you're still in school. That's what makes the tournament cool. And, and that's not going away. In fact, more people will have their team involved with it if you expand it. And that'll only make for more excitement around it, more buzz around it. I, I don't think it'll ruin the tournament any way, shape, or form. And you're probably only adding what you're probably only adding one more extra day to it, right? Maybe one more extra week. It's not like you're adding it sounds like a lot when you go from 68 to 90. It's just another round of playing games. It's right? just another round of playing games, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's another another day or two of games, probably. And um, I think the the bigger issue for me would be the concern that maybe some of the conference games during the regular season lose some of their importance. But they've already and, lost that. They've already lost that. Well, they, they probably have. And then you, you say that on the front end, but then 
you also think on the back end, it means there's probably a few more teams that are still fighting for a spot. Well, that there's otherwise that. Yeah, not yeah I, I took it. Yeah, I took what you mean as, as far as, as as winning conference championships. But you're right about that part. Yeah, no, I mean, during the regular season. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. but that, I just fair. don't think that's a, as big of an issue for college basketball as it is for college football. You know, there's not there's not really the concern of losing the urgency to the regular season in basketball like there is for football, in my opinion. Yeah, and you're still battling for seeds. Right. So um, anything else there on, on the expansion of the tournament or is that? No, I, I, you know, like I said, I'm pretty I, mad about what, it. Yeah, that's why I said, I said I'm indifferent about it. I mean, if you want to, it's not I'm not going to lose my mind that you did. And I certainly wouldn't lose my mind if you didn't. Um, I, again, it sounds like it's a huge expansion. It's really not. It's it's one more layer of games. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do bracketing in my head. You know, maybe all these play in games uh, are to see who plays the one seed and the two seed. In, in each in each level and everything else pretty much stays the same when you look at the brackets. Yeah, I, I do love just the the rush to freak out about it. Like, oh, it's the worst idea ever. It's going to ruin the NCAA tournament. I was like, well, no, why? Not. Why do you no, think that? Now, explain to me why and, it's going and, to ruin quite, the tournament. And quite frankly, if a 17 and 14 Big Ten team went on a magical run, well, God love them. Good for you. Well, we've had we've had a couple of those yes. 11 seeds make yes. a nice run already. Yes. I mean, it, it does happen. Yeah. And I nothing wrong with it. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's worked out. All right, let's get into our betting segment. Last week, I was two and four. You were three and three. I am now 55, 51 and one overall. You are 50, 56 and one overall. Uh, both of us taking Michigan in the under when there were 96 points scored in that game <laughs> might have been the worst picks ever given on the show. Might have. Yep, might have. I mean, we, we, just, we couldn't have been more wrong. And both of us were pretty certain in the way we assessed that game. So we sure were. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's just a great example of how much you should listen to us. Uh, Sunday, one o'clock, we've got the Ravens at the Bengals. Bengals are a seven point favorite. The total is 42. Yeah. I, I Listening to Joe and DJ yesterday really hit me at the same time. I'm listening to music blaring in the locker room. I'm listening to the guys laugh and I don't, I, I'm not, telling anybody to take that the wrong way. Listen, they need to get back to some normalcy too. And being together, I think, is a big deal for them. Hearing some of that makes me think that they, and I think Zach said it best, you can do two things at once. You can prepare for a football game. And he right. said, you know, when you're in the building, our focus is on preparing for Baltimore. And you can also at the same time have DeMar Hamlin completely in your thoughts. Um, and they do. And, I, and, and that's why I think this team, with what's on the line to still play for, comes out and plays as close to a normal football game as possible. And that they're, they're that much better than Baltimore. I'm going to go Bengals 27 Ravens 13. I just, I don't, what is a total 40 on the nose? It's 42. All right. 27, 13, 27, 13. So you're on the under there. So I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there probably a little bit too much is being made out of, all of that stuff. And I like, I mean, it's traumatic to be on the field for that. I completely understand it, but these guys have also played games. Many of them have played games where they have loved ones in the hospital or they have very serious things going on in their well, lives. There's or, been, you, or you, or you've watched a teammate that you know is going to be lost for an extended period of time to a knee injury. Yeah. I mean, I, th- this is obviously a little bit different from that. It, when it is different, but somebody's but, life's but, on the line, but you I, see, but you still see that and know, know there's, and you have to flip the switch and go right back to playing. Right. And, and aside from Tyler Boyd, I, you know, I, I don't think many of these guys like knew him really closely or personally. Right. So 
I, I don't think that's going to affect them hugely in terms of how they play this game. They, they are professionals. They can focus on two things at once and they can feel really badly for him and his family and also still playing a football game. I, I don't think that's something that's going to completely change. Now, the only thing you do wonder about is their, their week has been thrown off a little bit. Things are different than usual. And they're, they're all so, such creatures of, of habit and routine yep. that you do wonder if any of that changes, but I'm with you. I think especially with Lamar Jackson being out, the Bengals are just too good right now. And I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, 10 point win Bengals 24 Ravens 14. So Bengals and the under for me as well. Yeah. The other part to this too, is that, you know, they went into that Monday night game with only Sam Hubbard um, out of the main cast of characters, not playing. Um, you know, Sam was the only one literally on the injury report yesterday. Cause they didn't, they only played what nine minutes of football. Nobody got hurt on the Bengals side of things. So as strange as it is, they they actually do go into this game pretty healthy and all likelihood getting Sam Hubbard back. That'll be nice. Monday, 730 at SoFi Stadium. We've got the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. The Bulldogs are a 12 and a half point favorite. The total is 63. I, you know, I've been I've been against TCU for the from the whole stretch of this. I just haven't thought of them as, as this national power this year. Same here. And they keep doing it and doing it. And I, I think they're plucky enough to hang around this game, too. And I just can't lose sight of the fact that the last two games Georgia has played, they have just gotten blitzkrieg through the air. And I'll even go back to the Kentucky game when they finally let Will Levis sling it around. Will was making some big-time throws and plays, and Kentucky was moving the ball through the air there when they stopped being conservative. So that gives me a little pause about this Georgia defense and especially the secondary. So I I do think TCU hangs around. I think it's going to be a fun game, another high-scoring game. I'll go Georgia. I'll go Georgia 38, TCU 31. All right. So that is Georgia, or uh, excuse me, that is TCU and the over. Yes. Yeah, 69. Yeah. Um, I am not going to be a, a flip flopper like you. I'm going to stick to my guns and continue to get burnt by TCU. I'm going to continue <laughs> to say they suck and they're not this <laughs> national championship contender. And uh, I'm probably going to regret that once again. But I will be putting my money on Georgia minus 12 and a half. I'm going to say Georgia 42, TCU 24, Georgia and the over. I do think this is a game where you just it, you got to play the over and just hope for yeah, a fun I, I, game. I, I'm, honestly, I'm honestly thinking about buying TCU up to 14 and a half and betting Georgia, uh, buying Georgia down to 10 and trying to middle it with, with the Ooh. over. Ooh, now we're getting juicy, skinny. I like that. I like the idea of trying to middle this one because it does feel like that type of that type of score because Georgia, with the way they've been giving up points. Yep. Yeah, I, I could totally see that being they get out to a big lead and let TCU backdoor right into that middle. Yep. Hey, by the way, Rick, just, just before I, I we, we move off the gambling segment, um, thanks to Wyoming catching three and a half in that Barstool Bowl, I did catch a, a nice little parlay on Friday. Um, but I did want to ask you, what did, did you watch that game? I did not watch it. I saw a little bit of it, um, but I did not watch the whole thing. But I, yeah, okay, well, I, well, well I, I can't stand Portnoy and Big Cat. They, I know people love them, and that's fine. People are probably going to eviscerate me for it. I just that in, in that moment, them just continuing to scream about nothing is just the silliest thing ever. So I had to turn it down. But I'll be honest with you. The broadcast quality of that on my laptop was fantastic. They did huge numbers. Kudos to them. I mean, honestly, I, I, I mean, again, they were unlistenable completely. And I know for some people, they're – 
huge fans of them. It's just unlistenable for me. The play-by-play right. guy I thought did a pretty nice job, but it got to the point where they were screaming about every inane play that I, I just could not listen. It's funny. We talk about, you know, announcers all the time that I don't notice them much and I really watch for the game. Well, I, I don't need you to make me try to notice you two guys. I will say, though, the broadcast quality of that was superb. Yeah, Jake Marsh was kind of doing his best Dave Passion impression, trying to play the straight man with them losing their minds and, and screaming at each other and everything. So he, he does a really good job. And the crazy thing about it to me is the way that they're able to just randomly without the, the backing of a giant media company and all these moving parts that someone like ESPN or Fox has to put on the broadcast are able to say, we're going to host a college basketball exempt tournament this year. We're going to host a bowl game this year. And they're able to throw it together. And you can't really tell the difference. No, all that other, much than, again, those, other than those two screaming at each other. Right. And that's by choice. I mean, they're, they're, obviously choosing to have a a broadcast that's different like that and and you could do it with anybody right you could plug anybody into those those headsets and let anybody broadcast that game but to your point about the quality of it the the technical soundness of all of it and uh the the fact that they're doing massive numbers i mean they had a million viewers on that bowl game, which was a nothing bowl game that no one would really care about. Well, but but there are degenerates like me that had Wyoming get three and a half, and you're watching for that reason. Sure, but I mean that game is not doing a million viewers on ESPN two. No, probably or ESPN U. No, you're right. That's my point. Is is like the fact that all of a sudden you can kind of just eliminate the middleman here and say we're going to throw up a bowl game on our website because we're popular enough to do that, and a million people tune in and we'll get a billion impressions with a B on social media. I, that's that's pretty nuts, and I, I'm not as I'm not as worried about what it means for Barstool as I am what it could mean for uh, what if DraftKings decides that they sure. just want to well, host a bowl game next year and they decide to hire media people to do it. Like almost any, it seems like anyone that's big enough now, and you don't have to be that big because it's not and Barstool is not huge, uh, but any company that has a little bit of, of media talent and money to it can can get the sponsorship dollars and decide. We want to host a, some type of sporting event and put on a live broadcast. Right. All right, let's get into some Ask Any Anything. We got some good questions this week. We'll start with a sports question. Per your conversation about Kentucky's next basketball coach, which, by the way, I enjoyed last week. I thought that was a, a good college basketball conversation. It felt very barroomish. Uh, <laughs> do you think they would come after Sean Miller? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. I'm going to say no. And I don't even know really why I'm just dismissing that as quickly as I am. I I guess the question for me, and you never say never with these guys, and I don't take any of them at their words. Sean got a bite at the Big Apple. It got ugly. And he's back in familiar territory with a chance to to carve out the next 10 years of a career in in comfort, in a comfort zone, and to take on that behemoth with all the pressure that comes with it I just, does he want to go through that again? That's kind of how I view it too. I think now that he's been cleared by the NCAA, and especially if you're talking not this year, but maybe two or three years down the road, Kentucky could want Sean Miller. That would not surprise me. I would be a little bit more surprised if Sean Miller was ready to leave for Kentucky in that short of amount of time, Uh, given a, a few things. One, what you just said, Xavier kind of stuck their neck out for him. He's already been to the big time. And, and, and one thing about that that I think maybe is a, a little undervalued or underrated is when you go to a place like that that's 
maybe it's unfair to call Kentucky a has-been, but Arizona certainly is kind of a has-been program, or at least they were when Sean got there. They, they were once a power. They haven't been for a while. Everything is compared to the good old days. Everything you do is like, oh, you almost got it back to where Loot had it. You know, or at Kentucky, it'd be, well, it's almost back to name whichever is your favorite Kentucky basketball where, coach. Where, where Cal had it in 2014. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think that's that's part of it. You're kind of always in someone's shadow where if like if if it's Sean Miller has that Xavier, it's always can Sean Miller be that first coach to get Xavier to the final four? Right. Sean Miller right. is the best coach in Xavier history. Like that's how they're going to talk about him going forward at Xavier. So I think that is kind of something at this point of his career where he's had the success, the money he's been at the, the top level might be somewhat valuable to him, at least for the time being. And the other thing is he's really close with Cal. Cal is kind of his mentor. I don't know that he wants to follow, follow him like that. I, I don't know that that would be his first choice. It's a good question. It is. Uh, Skinny, in honor of the current U.S. soccer mess, which I'm sure you're following closely. I, I actually am following it enough. What is the most insane parent behavior you and Skinny have seen at or associated with youth high school AAU sports? Um, there was a there was a parent last year um, who had a child playing in a freshman game against me and then had another child who played varsity. He's no longer at that school. He transferred school. So those in Northern Kentucky probably know who I'm talking about here. Who I, I've never done this to anybody before. This guy was such a nut. Yelling, yelling, yelling plays, yelling. I literally from my and I should have. I just said, sit down and shut up. I, I, I and I as soon as I said that, I react? almost caught myself. Like I can't believe I just said that. He, he was that annoying. How did he react when you said that? He yelled something back at me, and at that point, I'm like I'm not getting in a pissing match with this cat. This cat's crazy, and he is crazy. No, it's probably um, the right choice. Yeah, so th- that that's one of the crazy. I mean, he is literally yelling to the point of. He wasn't yelling at officials over calls. He was like yelling at players about guarding and 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 calling out plays and cut harder. And I'm like, just shut up. And then I was told by somebody on their, the staff there that he does that every game and we've just come to live with it. I'm like, well, I wouldn't live with it. I'd toss his ass out. Yeah, that's lovely. Lovely. I did stuff have one. I did, I did have one in an AAU game once where we were playing down in Tennessee and one of my kids dove for a ball on the floor and accidentally undercut another kid going for it. You've seen, you know what I'm talking about, right? right that yeah. happens. Um, and they called my kid for a foul. It probably was, but I, I yelled, I said, he's got every right to the ball. The kid was hurt at the time. Um, and I was complaining about the call. And this woman told me, said something to me. And I just turned around and said, I'm just complaining about the, the foul. I'm sorry if that's your grandson or son that he's hurt. I literally said that. So at halftime, this old man comes down the steps, gets chest to chest with me, says, don't you ever tell her to shut her mouth again. I said, what? I said, I never said that to her. I said, I was arguing the foul about my kid, and I said, I'm sorry he's hurt. My kid was going for the ball. I'm arguing the call. No, you told her to sit down and shut up. I'm like, no, no, I didn't. So then he chests me again. I said, I'll tell you what, you do it one more time, I'm going to knock your ass off. (laughs) At that point, a couple of my parents came and kind of separated us. I told the officials and they said, you want him kicked out? I said, no, I just don't want him to bother me again. I said, he can stay. I said, we're about to kick their ass in the second half. He's not going to like it. And we did. And he didn't like it. But at that point, I'm like, seriously, dude, you, what is this, a game of phone? Did did you not hear what I said? Did she lie to you? I mean, what what is it about? What is it about you that people want to get chesty with you? I don't know, because I'm little and they think they can kick my ass, I guess. Uh, sadly mistaken. <laughs> uh, I, I did have. um I'm not going to call out the kid because I can't remember a hundred percent who it was, but he was a top 
I would say 50 recruit at the time. And he went to a, a high major program in this region. Uh, we were at an AAU tournament and I was actually sitting with Chad Brendel and I believe Dave Tellup was with us at the time. Oh, wow. He used to be a national yeah. scout yeah. for uh, yeah. scout.com. Now he's like the, the third highest up in, in the Spurs organization. But this kid, there was a, a some type of a bad call or questionable call, at least according to this kid's mom. And, and again, the kid's a six, nine, four star recruit going to a high major school, all types of offers. There's, there's all types of people there to see him. And his mom walks out onto the court after the call. Cause there's like kind of a stoppage in play as they're, you know, reporting the call to the scores table or whatever. She walks out on the court, just stopping the game has her cell phone in her hand, walks up, snaps a picture of the, the ref about six inches from his face. And she just goes, I'm reporting your ass. Oh my Lord. The, the, the great thing is he should have said to who and that's why. Exa- that's exactly <laughs> what I said. I go, I don't even know who she, it's an AAU tournament. You know how those things go. It's just like vol- guys who are like volunteering or yes. uh, getting a small stipend because they're trying to work on their, they might even be paying for a quote unquote ref camp to get evaluated to be there. So it's like, who are you going to report them to? They're, yes, they don't have exactly. like a boss there. That's great. She walked. I mean, she's she's probably six five. She's a big lady. Walks up right, gets like six inches from the ref's face, snaps it with like a flip phone at the time too. I want to say it's like two thousand and fifteen, two thousand fourteen, something like that. That's Uh, great. It's just incredible. All right. Um, What is Skinny's breakfast order from McDonald's? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big breakfast guy, as I've mentioned, but I've occasionally got myself a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. It is almost invariably um sausage egg and cheese biscuit nice yeah i'm glad that they brought the steak egg and cheese bagels back i like those yeah i you know what's funny rick i had i didn't like it i don't know why really i mean it's a little too much bagel to be quite yeah, honest maybe, that's, maybe just, that's, that's what it is it's too yeah. heavy but it's and a nice change is, up every now and then funny part is i love bacon i don't like the sausage bacon biscuit as much sausage egg or excuse me the egg bacon uh biscuit as much as the sausage bacon biscuit sausage egg biscuit I will say, I think I had a weird like uh, taste bud shift around 30 because I used to really think McDonald's breakfast was like something great. And I just I almost never get it anymore. I just it's just not, it's not very appealing to me. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going somewhere for breakfast, I'm going to sit down at a first watch or something like that. Yeah. Same. All right. Who is your favorite Disney character? Skinny. This guy is guessing it's goofy. I don't know if that's supposed to be like a shot or. I don't know. Yeah, what I, I'm a big goofy. Well, I, I, for full disclosure, my daughter works at Disney World. Well, she works at, at all the parks. She is actually a different character every day, and and uh, I don't think she's done goofy yet, though. I'm pretty sure she hasn't. Maybe that. Maybe that's why they asked this question because they yeah. hear us talk about your daughter being there. Yeah, like, I'm gonna. Goofy's a good one. I kind of like Goofy. I kind of like Tigger. Thought you'd be more like a Scrooge McDuck. Well, no, I'm going to guess there's a lot of people that would say I, I probably am, am more suited for Eeyore, but no, I think Eeyore. bouncy, bouncy, fun, 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 fun. You've got too much energy to be Eeyore. Eeyore yeah, no. wasn't exactly a fiery guy. No, he was not. He was he was kind of a Debbie Downer. No, he, I, I'm going. I'm going. I'll go Tigger. Yeah, I could see you being kind Woo-hoo-hoo! of a Tigger. You're like uh, if Tigger had a pissed off brother, that would be <laughs> that would be your guy. That's, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, a dark side of Tigger. Uh, if skinny, this is a good one. I don't know exactly how to take it, but if skinny had to trade jobs with anyone in Cincinnati, who would he choose and why they don't say media jobs. So I think they just mean anyone period. 
um, if I could, I would, I would honestly, I think oh. I'd trade with Sean Miller. <laughs> coach, coach Savior. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, that would be I, your that would be your preference on jobs right now, huh? Yes. Yeah. Oh, what do you think like, I was going to say? I have no idea. I didn't think I didn't even. I think mean, if, if it was a, if it was a media job, this is going to sound weird. Um, because they're so. Honestly, I trade with Tommy Thrall. I'd love to do a. I'd love to do be a be do baseball play by play for a living. I wouldn't. I, I, that would be great. So many games, though, and so much travel. There is, there it's is, a lot. it is a lot. Um, so I, I guess I, because I grew up in the era where the majority of Reds games were on the radio, and so I grew up in that era where I mean, I would you would go, you would literally the, the I would go to bed on West Coast games with a transistor radio under my pillow. I mean, that's that's truth, and there's a lot of people that that grew up in my era that that did the same thing. So. The, the the romance of, of baseball and radio is still there for me. Um, so yeah, if it was a media job, it would be that one. Interesting. Yeah, I've man, that's a tough. I mean, I'd probably have to say Lancer Mose gig if it's a media job for me. I think I'd just want to do a daily show, either, either that or just be doing the Bengals, because um, that way you only got to do seventeen of them. Yeah, but you probably wouldn't make enough money. That's why Dan Horde does UC on top of it. Really, you don't think Bengals is a, like would be enough to be a full time gig? I, I, yeah, but not as comfortable as you probably think. Hmm. Interesting. We'll wrap it up with this one, Skinny. Do you miss doing the two angry guys? Um, I do, and I don't. I mean, I don't. It's funny you said you want to do that, Rick, and I know you do. And I, I've told you I think you'd be extremely good at it. Um, that's why I enjoy doing the podcast with you. I, I enjoy doing it. Um. I'll be frank, and I've said this on this podcast before, I don't miss it. Um, I miss some things, um, and that's not a shot at time. We talk literally every day, um, um, and we still laugh together a lot of times, and it was fun. But that doing that every day in the mornings was just a grind. It just And, and working a full-time job on top of it was just a grind. Again, there was a plenty of times to enjoy it. I'm glad I did it. It's something I always wanted to do in that era, and I was fortunate enough to get a chance to do it and do it for more than a decade, but I, I don't miss it. A big part of that has to be the morning thing, though, right? Sure. I mean, I was working either – I mean, I, I've, I've told the stories before. I mean, I was covering Kentucky at the time for an afternoon paper. You know, you file your story at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, drive back up to Cincinnati – get an hour and a half sleep on a couch or in a studio across from the studio we were in, then get up and try to do a show at that would, that, that wore on me. I, I can't imagine. I, I would think so. That, that morning slot is so tough. Um, and as much and you as you gotta it, have energy, I mean, you know, you gotta have energy too. You can't just go in and go, I'm sure glad I'm here this morning. I hope everybody's having a good day. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not a job. You can mail it in. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Good deal. That's all I got. Appreciate- Yep, appreciate it much. Rick and I will be back um, Sunday after the Bengals game for our Bengals recap podcast. Um, you know, hopefully they can they can get the win, and we'll see where things go. I think it's going to be an interesting Sunday, no matter how we slice it up. Always thoughts and prayers for Demar Hamlin. Um, I think there was some good news as we were doing this podcast that he's again. I think the the family issued a statement to the Bills that he's making significant progress. He's still critical, but um, sounds like. Um, I, substantial like have, improvement over the past yes, 24 hours. Yes, which, is, yep. which is great to see because that was that scene on Monday night. is just, I hope we never see that again in, a, in, in any sporting event uh, for sure. Well, Rick, thanks very much for Rick Broing. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly potpourri edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of first community mortgage.